Welcome to Charles Stanley Radio, podcasts providing economic updates combined with some lighthearted conversation during this time of uncertainty. We talk to people from across Charles Stanley to get their insights and recommendations for life in lockdown. This podcast is general information and doesn't constitute prescriptive or formal advice. The comments made represent the individual's opinion only, and no liability can be accepted for actions taken as a result of this recording. Hello and welcome to another episode of CS Radio. I'm Joe Higginson, and today I'm joined by John Harrison, Head of Information and Cybersecurity at Charles Stanley, to discuss how to stay safe online in these uncertain times. Hi, John. Hi, Joe. Uh, so firstly, could you tell people a little bit more about your role at Charles Stanley? Yes, my role involves protecting the company's information and helping the company to be resilient, which means it can continue to operate when faced with a disruptive event like the current coronavirus situation. My responsibilities include information security, which is ensuring our information is secure, accurate and available. Cyber security, which is protecting the information and data on the company's systems that have a connection to the Internet, which is known as cyberspace. Business continuity, which is helping the company to plan and practice for major incidents. And information risk management, which involves considering the threats to the company's information and making balanced decisions which protect the company while not making it unnecessarily difficult to get things done. We also need to make sure the security we do put in place provides good value for money by achieving the biggest risk reduction for the smallest cost and then monitoring it to make sure it does what it says on the tin. Well, that sounds like a busy role. My next question is, how is cybersecurity different when um, you're working from home compared to working in an office environment? Okay, so the short answer there is it isn't different. If you are still connected to the internet and you're still working using your company's systems and your company's information, then all those cyber threats and risks still apply to you at home. But when people are working from home, the lines between work life and personal life can become understandably blurred and things can perhaps feel less formal. You naturally feel more secure in your own home, and this can have the effect of making you feel more relaxed and trusting. However, while it can feel safer when you work from home, people must still be vigilant. To some extent, it will depend on how you are working. For example, if you're using your own equipment or whether you're working on equipment provided to you by your company. But when you are at home, you might be less inclined to check a strange email with a colleague before you do anything. Or you might go to a website which you've heard about on social media that you wouldn't normally go to on your work systems. So to add to this, some big companies have recently suffered some ransomware attacks. Two examples are Finastra and Epic. So the threat from cyber criminals is very real. If you're still connected to your company's network and you click on a phishing email, the consequences for you and your company will be the same as if you've clicked on that phishing email in the office. Worst case, that phish could bring your company to a standstill. If you are using your own computer to work and you click a fish in your personal email, a keylogger, for example, could be downloaded and that will then capture everything you type, which includes any usernames and passwords for your network login to your company and your VPN, and then sends those typings out to your cyber criminals. I think the key point to remember here, Joe, is that cybersecurity still applies when you're working from home, so you must take it just as seriously as when you're in the office, perhaps more so as the bad guys, the cyber criminals know people working from home and they are adapting their criminal methods to take advantage of that 
for example, sending emails pretending to come from senior staff in your company, knowing that you will respond by email instead of perhaps calling them or going to see them. Yeah, you mentioned cyber criminals and the coronavirus, and I was actually going to ask, how have cyber criminals specifically responded to the coronavirus pandemic and the kind of uncertainty that it's brought about? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It's fair to say that the coronavirus has been great news for cyber criminals. In normal circumstances, these bad guys need to come up with ways to make people drop their guard, maybe just for a second or two, and click that email link or respond to a text message or decide to trust someone who calls them out of the blue. Now, these criminals use various techniques to do this. It's called social engineering, and that's a modern take on what used to be called confidence tricks. So social engineering creates a strong emotional human response, things like urgency, greed, and fear, to make people pause their common sense button. But coronavirus means that many people already have these emotions and the problem there is that's now made the cyber criminal's job so much easier. But what they're doing now is putting a coronavirus wrapper around all their old tricks. For example, phone calls about slow computers in your broadband or HMRC refunds, pack emails from the World Health Organization or our own government. And then there's other things like health cures or giving you preferential access to grocery deliveries or protective equipment. The thing here is we must be under no illusion cyber criminals are very clever and they are very determined. They will also follow the news and then quickly adapt to use that news, for example, toilet roll and hand sanitizer shortages to make their attacks appear even more convincing. And they will also scan social media as well to see what people are talking about and then again adapt their tactics to make them as relevant as they can. So, for example, if you or someone else puts up a post saying that they are struggling to get food delivered, the cyber criminals will then send them a message through social media with a link to food deliveries. And of course, that will be a fish or a scam. I've also been asked recently if cyber criminals and other criminals are slowed down to give people a chance while we go through the situation. But the answer is this couldn't be further from the truth. These people have no sympathy, they've got no morals, and they certainly have no conscience. They will exploit every opportunity they can. They will see everyone connected to the internet as fair game, and they also specifically target vulnerable people. I was recently talking to the cyber police crime unit. And they said they are now seeing as much cyber criminal activity in three days as they used to see in one whole month. Wow, that's quite a stat. They're obviously um, capitalising on um, people's vulnerabilities at the moment. They are. So, um, so what can people do when they're working from home to support the kind of company they work for, cyber security? Well, as I said earlier, the single most important thing you and anyone else can do is take your cyber security at home as seriously as you would do when you are at work. You must be just as vigilant on your guard, if not more so, when you're at home. And if you are using work equipment, make sure you use it in the same way you would at work. And if you can, avoid using it for any personal use, such as personal email, internet browsing, or social media. If you make any changes to help you work from home, to make things easier for you, for example, you install screen sharing software or video call or video conference software, make sure you only use the software that's been approved by your company. Also, take care. Make sure that you only install software from official websites. Some sites you browse to can hide malicious code in the software. A really important point, Joe, is to be really careful with any non-company software that allows you to screen share or remote connect to another machine, as this can be used by criminals to connect to your device. And for example, they can then install malware or remotely control your computer, or perhaps make it run slowly before they then call you offering to help you with your computer problem. So what I'm saying here is try and keep as much information as you can saved to your company network and avoid saving it to a personal computer or to any other personal or work device that's not encrypted. 
if you're able to, don't let anyone else use your device. Now, I know that might be hard when people are at home with their families and children, but if you're using a device for work, make sure you only use it because someone else could accidentally do something that compromises that device and maybe your company. Also, consider making any temporary changes. So, again, as I mentioned earlier, if you make any temporary urge changes to help you work from home, make a note of these. You can then change them back when you go back into the office and put things as they were. If you do use your equipment, make sure you keep all your software up to date. This is your own personal equipment to work. Make sure everything's up to date, not just your operating system. And also make sure you have an internet security type product on there that's up to date and not just antivirus. Something that's been in the news recently is microphones and webcams. So make sure you switch any microphones and webcams that you're using off for work and also turn off any electric type devices that might be able to hear your work conversations. Another key point I think you can do when working from home to protect your company is if you receive an unexpected email or text or perhaps a phone call and it's unexpected, as I said, and it's either asking you to do something or it's enticing you to do something or it's offering you anything even if it's someone you think you can trust, like a supplier or a friend, just pause for a few seconds and think that this might be a cyber criminal and either call that person back using a number you've already got or ask a colleague what they may think of it, as if you would do if you're sitting in the office next to them. But on that point, don't forward any text or email to anyone else because they could inadvertently click on it and then cause a cyber attack. A couple of other points just before we uh, move on to the next question. Where we need to get to is a fundamental change. With cybersecurity, we need to move from trusting everything we see until our suspicions are aroused to trusting nothing until our suspicions are allayed. And this is what's called a zero-trust approach. We should treat everything we receive from the internet as bogus until we are proved otherwise. And if we can do that, we'll all be protecting ourselves. So when using the internet, either for work or for personal use, we should have that default position of not trusting anything and then we build up our trust by taking basic steps to verify it. So, for example, you can browse to a website independently and never use a link you get in an email. Or you can call a sender to verify an email and not replying to that email saying, is this really you? Another thing you can do is call the caller back, but using a number from an official website, perhaps by searching on Google. And also use a different phone in case the criminal is still on the phone line when you hang up and then call back. Thanks for that, John. Um, you mentioned earlier about people working from home and their family. So how can I go about protecting myself and my family as well from cybercrime? And also in the event that one does become a victim, are there any tips that you can give people for how to deal with that? Yeah, there is. There's lots we can do. So this is good news. There's many straightforward and low-cost things we can all do to help ourselves and our family. So I'll run through these and then people can play them back if they're listening to the podcast. So in terms of protecting yourself, start with your email accounts. I think I've mentioned this to you, Joe, and other staff at Charles Stanley. Make sure your personal email account has a long, strong password, so something perhaps with over 15 characters, something complex. That means having numbers less than symbols. If it helps you, try and use three random words that you can remember easily that mean nothing to anyone else, and then replace some of the letters in those words with numbers and symbols. Then just use that password only for your email account and don't use it for any others because the email is the one that the criminals are after. Once you've done that, then go through your other important accounts like eBay and PayPal. Do the same thing. And again, don't use those passwords for any other accounts. Then continue doing that for all your other important online accounts. So anything there where you can do an online transaction or anything that holds important information. Once you've done that, go back to those accounts starting with your email and set up something called two-factor authentication. 
What it means, two-factor authentication means, is that you need two different things to prove who you are. So not just a password, you need something else, a second factor, in order to get into your account. Now, for many websites, this means getting a code, and that can either be a text message that comes through from the website itself, or be an app that you have in your phone, and those apps are called authenticator apps. Authenticator apps are more secure than a text message. One is called Authy, that's A-U-T-H-Y, that's free, and you can use that one authenticator app on your phone to generate multiple codes for your accounts. Now, once you've completed all those steps, you will have made massive improvements in your cybersecurity, and then you can look at something else called password managers. What we do is stall all your online passwords in a vault, and that vault is protected by a single master password. Of course, what you there have to need to have there, Joe, is a very long, strong password, and you mustn't use that for any of your other accounts. So two of the best password managers I've come across are LastPass and Dashlane, and what they do is they put all your passwords in a vault, and they are then encrypted. That means scrambled using that master password you put in. So even the password manager company cannot unscramble your passwords. And I've been asked before what happens if they're hacked. If they are hacked and one was hacked in the past, the passwords are still safe because people can't read them. There's other things that password managers can do as well, like automatically sign you in when you visit a website. So this means you can have loads of very long, completely random passwords. The benefit there is it makes it very hard for cyber criminals to guess them and you don't need to remember them because they're all inside your vault. You can also use your password manager to scan all your passwords in your vault and they will tell you which ones are weak and should be changed. And you can also add in things there like secure notes and credit cards. Again, it's all securely stored using that master password. National Cyber Security Centre also recommends password managers. So anyone listening, you can take a look at the National Cyber Security website and get more information. The other thing I mentioned earlier is please keep all your software up to date, not just your operating system. If you're running um, any type of internet security product, make sure it does cover various different things like malware and not just antivirus. And if you're running something like Windows 7 or older, make sure you upgrade it now because any security holes that we now find in Windows 7 are not being fixed by Microsoft and these might be used by criminals for cyber attacks. You can also read up on something called authorised push payment fraud. This is something that's happening with a lot more frequency, Joe. Um, this, what happens here is a criminal tricks you into sending money from your bank account to the criminal's bank account. If you think you're never going to be tricked in this way, think again, there's many people from all backgrounds and people with all different levels of cyber security knowledge do do this every day. You can protect yourself from authorised push payment fraud by getting into the habit of always using secure payment services like PayPal as your first option. These secure payment services will put the criminals off as they know you can claim your money back if something goes wrong. And if you're using a business or a service and they don't accept something like PayPal, then you might want to ask yourself why not. It doesn't mean it's suspicious. Currently, PayPal, then you can use something like your credit card as a way of paying. Again, that gives you extra protection. But if you absolutely must send a bank transfer, always independently verify those bank details first. Never use the bank details you get in an email. And then one last tip to try and help protect you is you can also keep the amount of money in your current account to a minimum. And if you are fortunate enough to have surplus money in this account, move it to another bank account that you never use for online payments. By doing that, if a criminal does manage to get into your online current account and transfer money out of it, they're only going to get a small amount rather than taking all your savings. On that one, Joe, that's in terms of um, protecting yourself. And then there's steps that people can take to prepare themselves. So 
So this is different. So what this means is preparing yourself. Is, uh, you expect that one day the worst is going to happen, that you will be attacked and you will succumb to a cyber attack. The first thing I'd say here to everyone listening is look at your home computer differently. Instead of looking at your computer like an electronic version of a cupboard or a sideboard where you store everything, try looking at your computer as an appliance that does one job. So, for example, like a washing machine. And by this, I mean you wouldn't keep all your clothes in the washing machine. You wouldn't put in your dirty clothes the moment they need a wash and then keep clean ones in there too and only take them out when you need to wear one thing. So the washing machine is just does one thing, and that is clean clothes. You only use it at the point you want to wash your clothes. And otherwise, you have clothes in the wash bin and your clean clothes in the water over in the drawer. So where I'm going with this is if you adopt the same approach with your computer and you see it like that washing machine, see it as a device that only has one job to do, and that job is to process your electronic content. So whether it's showing you photos or videos or editing spreadsheets or documents or browsing the internet, look at your computer as a machine just like any other. So what it should not be is a one-stop shop for all your digital content because you're putting all your eggs in one basket. So what I recommend is you separate your electronic content from your computer. So what can you do to do that? Well, first of all, you can buy a separate hard drive and then you move all your files, all your photos, spreadsheets, documents from your actual computer that's connected to the internet to this hard drive. And you can also, by the way, put all your browser favorites onto that hard drive too. And also transfer any software the, called the executable file um, that you spent money buying. Now, if you move all of those onto that separate hard drive, you then disconnect that hard drive from your computer. That's called air-gapped. So what that means is there is a gap of air. There's, there's no connection between that hard drive and the computer that you're using when you browse the internet or when you're connected to the internet. And that way, if you are unfortunate enough and you suffer a cyber attack or ransomware, something like that, all your digital content's safe and only the computer, the actual machine, will be affected. So that's the operating system and any software on there. That's the first thing. So that's that's a complete shift in the way we look at things at the moment, and that's where we should be going to. Now, you should always have at least two copies of your content as well. So if you have a hard drive, let's assume you've done what I've suggested, and you've now got a hard drive with all your bits and pieces on there. What you should do is also upload it to a cloud storage account or copy it to another hard drive, keep that hard drive nearby, so you can update it easily, but away from your home, so it won't be affected if you have something like a fire or a flood or a theft. Now, one more thing you can do, if you want to take it a step further, is do something called clone your computer's hard drive. What cloning does is it takes an exact copy of your computer and it puts it on another disk drive. Now, that isn't the same as a backup, but what it does mean is if you have a problem with your computer that you use and it's connected to the internet, for example, it gets encrypted by ransomware, all you have to do is take out the old hard drive and put the new one in and you'll be immediately up and running. It's a complete fail-safe. Now, to give you some idea on prices, external hard drive costs have come down massively and you can now get a good one for about £30. And that's a 256 gigabyte solid-state, super-fast hard drive. And there's also some very good cloning software out there that's free or for a small cost. Now, if you do clone your hard drive, there's some things you do need to remember. First of all, you need to do a re-image or a re-clone every time you add or remove programs or you update your operating system. Secondly, you must keep that cloned hard drive disconnected from your computer and somewhere safe, for obvious reasons. And thirdly, if you do ever suffer an incident and you need to put that cloned hard drive into your computer, the very first thing you must do is then clone it again onto a new hard drive. That's, that's protecting your computer. Now, there are three steps you can take. 
Um, each one of those will help you. And as you go further on, you become more and more resilient to cyber crime. Some other things you can do is you could put a call recording app on your mobile phone so that if you're called by a criminal, you then have a copy of the call. Now, that can be very useful to the police and action fraud, and it might also help you with a claim if you need to go to your bank because you've lost money because of a scam phone call. And lastly, you can take a look at the Get Safe Online website and, as I mentioned earlier, the National Cyber Security websites. These are both very good, and they're written in plain English. They have lots of information on how you can help yourselves and your families with your cyber security. Thanks very much for that, John. There's some really useful advice there for helping us all to uh, keep safe, both at home and uh, thinking about our companies. So we're now going to move on to the next part of the podcast, which um, is something a little bit different. Yeah. So for you personally, John, what's been the biggest shock to your daily routine and working habits? And if you live with family or children, what have you sort of put into place to try and continue having an effective and healthy daily routine? Okay. Um, I think the biggest shock I've had is how much of my work, how much of my day I normally spend commuting. So it typically takes me on a good day, three hours to get to work and back. So I've worked this out while I've been at home. Since I've been working in London, I've spent 13,500 hours commuting or 562 days. So that was quite a shock. Now going from 90 minutes each way to less than 15 seconds a day isn't an unpleasant change. So I quite like that. Um, how's it going at home in terms of family? Well, my wife works in a school and she's now been furloughed. So she's at home helping the children. They're getting online homework and they've got Google Classrooms as well, so getting plenty to do. And now we've got the nice weather, they're actually getting out in the garden as well. So it's actually been quite smooth so far. And what have you kept yourself with in your spare time when you're not working? So is staying active and fit, for example, a big priority for you? It is now. So uh, I have a cross trainer and a row at home. I've also got some dumbbells. So now I haven't got that long commute. I've dusted those off and I've been trying to get some much needed exercise in in that spare time in the hope that when I come to buy my next suit, I can actually go down a size rather than go up where, where, where it's looking like it was going. Um, I'm also quite practical. So I've okay, great. Off. I'm also quite practical. So I've been striking off some jobs around the house. Um, my wife's got a list, but it's a magic list, you see. As soon as I take one job off, two more magically appear. In that regard, it's a bit like work, actually. <laughs> and what uh, would be your recommendations for the following categories? We're starting with um, a movie or TV series. Movie or TV series. I'll go with a movie then, Joe. So my, one of my favourite movies is The Shawshank Redemption. So it's quite gritty, brutal even in places. But it's got a really good plot and the characters in it are superb. And one of the things that comes through in that film is how much resilience and sheer determination can overcome. So it's probably quite relevant to the current situation. And a board game? Board game. Okay, we've got quite a few. I think the one that we seem to like the most at the moment is called Sequence. This is a, this is a board game that used playing cards as well. And our neighbour bought it for us. Children really like it. There's a little bit of strategy involved, but it's not too demanding. And the children quite like trying to see what other players' hands have got. And the next category is a book. A book. Um, I'm actually reading one called The Body, A Guide for Occupants, and that's by Bill Brown. And it's a fascinating sort of plain English explanation of how our bodies work and, and what we're made of. And I think it's really incredible. We're, we are massively complicated. And there's a section in there that I've just read by pure coincidence. Um, it's all about the immune system and how it responds to infection. So that's really interesting given what's happening at the moment. Yeah, I can imagine. And finally, a new skill to pick up. Ooh, um, it's probably, let me think about that one. 
So aside from the practical stuff I've been doing, I think it's not really a skill, but bearing in mind we're now in lockdown and I'm not rushing around from one thing to the next, like social events, giving lists out or having to be somewhere at a certain time. I'm actually spending more time just pausing and looking at things around me. And there's so much detail that I don't normally have the time to look at or take in. So I find that quite relaxing and enlightening. So I'm guessing that still possibly could be mindfulness. I'm actually pausing to live in and appreciate the moment rather than constantly rushing ahead and have my mind elsewhere. And what is the biggest thing that you feel that you perhaps took for granted before the kind of lockdown was put into place? Okay. I think I'd have to say how permanent and robust robust I thought our society was. So things like food, supplies, shops and people. Because when you go out, they're always there. When I wanted them, I thought they were sort of perpetual everlasting but of course we've now been shown that they're not in food for example you need many complex supply chains you've got thousands of people doing their jobs and at the right time if any of that fails then it all disappears from the shelves that we've seen on the news so that's that's one surprise but i think another one is friends and family so you think they're always going to be there for you but one day that they, they haven't been we've got told to stay in and not see them anymore i think that's a lesson for me and maybe more of us make most of the people while you've got them and don't have any regrets And finally, in the same kind of vein as what you've just been talking about, what do you think is going to be the biggest takeaway for individuals um, and wider society once life has restabilised? We like to think our society is advanced and civilised. I'm starting to think it really isn't. And it has, it can, and it has changed instantly. And what we perceive as society is actually a collective illusion. It's a thin veneer that can be easily broken. And we've seen on the news and, and in the paper, you know, when push comes to shove, some people certainly are pushing and shoving. And this survival instinct comes in and they're, they're taking things off the shelf and depriving other people. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you've got cyber criminals capitalising on people's misery and exploiting them. So I think that's something I think we've learned. However, having said that, I think we should also remember, and I hope you do, how many good and kind people there are out there. We've got people um, helping and volunteering, even in Charles Stanley. We've got people knocking around on doors around where I live. We've got all the people working in the NHS. So I hope we all realise when we come out of this how, just how many good and kind people there are. And at the end of the day, we are all just people, regardless of whether we're the Prime Minister or not, and whether our, what our social backgrounds are and our occupations. And perhaps if we can see past those things, we might be less self-centred, more compassionate, more civilised to each other. Thanks, John. I think that's an excellent takeaway. And um, thank you very much for your time today. You're very welcome, Joe. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Charles Stanley Radio. This podcast is general information and doesn't constitute prescriptive or formal advice. The comments made represent the individual's opinion only and no liability can be accepted for actions taken as a result of this recording. Thank you for listening to Charles Stanley Radio. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it offered a small escape.